welcome to my art forum. It's time for post-orthodoxy, a show about changing our minds. Yeah, baby. With your hosts, Dark and Ainsley Sevier. Maybe what they believe about reality isn't all of reality. What? I know, right? We are on a mission to have a better time with more people more often. The question is more how do you get there? Post-orthodoxy explores strongly held beliefs, how those belief systems divide or connect people, and what might be found beyond those reality bubbles. Keep calm. Don't lose your head. I've got a piece of chocolate here with me because I got anxiety about doing this. Welcome to this neighborhood, neighbor. Welcome to the first episode of Post-Orthodoxy, recorded live on September 12th, 2019, from the KBMF Radio Studios in Butte, America. In the first half of this hour-long show, Dark and Ainsley explain the basic hypotheses of post-Orthodoxy conversations, and during the second half, we get to know Daniel Lodi, a local savant in music, engineering, and radio technology. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. I love you. Now, back to our show. The time is uh, 5.03. That's a good song to listen to for five minutes. Yeah, you're listening to... Copacetic Conversations on America's Most Radio. This is KVMF LP Butte. Uh, we're missing somebody today. Uh, Mokai Malope, I believe, finally got on an airplane. We can we can say that we left this chair here empty in his honor. Right. Darn the fog. <laughs> he was supposed to leave a couple of days ago. Is that why? Yeah. The fog? The fog. And it made it to us two days later. Right. Mm. So uh, I, we're wishing Mokai uh, all the best on his journey. Right. Safe travels. We don't know where he is in the world right now. He could be in Amsterdam. He Up could there be, somewhere. We don't know where he is. Anyway, uh, we hope you get home safe, Mr. Mokaimalope. Um, oh, whatever. It's his third time leaving. Right. He has a party every time. Right. I'm just trying not to cry. Um, somebody, uh, Kathleen Shortridge is saying greetings from Baja. We have <gasps> a listener in Baja right now. Hi, Kathleen. Hi, Kathleen. Where's Baja? Baja, California. Oh. Actually, Baja, California is Mexico. It's that little uh, that little um, peg leg that hangs off the phallic part of Mexico that hangs off to the west. Right. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, um, thanks, Kathleen, for listening. Tuning in. Mm. So um, on this show, now that it's just a well, but so far. But so far, what? Since last fall, twenty eighteen. Yes. yes. Tell me about it. Right. So um, Mokai wanted to meet all kinds of Americans, of U.S. citizens. And um, we made, uh, made a. We decided, well, hey, let's interview them, and then we'll get to know each other as well as Mokai getting to know his U.S. neighbors. And so we've been doing the show Copacetic Conversations, off and on since last fall. Um, I think we've done like twenty-five shows so far. Something like that. Yeah. Cool. Um, and I'm impressed. Right. I didn't. <laughs> I was like, wow. <laughs> That's more work than I thought we did. <laughs> um, and we had a different guest every time talking about their strongly held beliefs. And Mokai mm-hmm. would ask um, questions which the guest would perceive as non-judgmental or non-political because he's not a U.S. citizen and isn't embroiled in Republican versus Democrat stuff. And uh, we would get to know each other and walls would kind of crumble a little bit. Yeah, it was nice. Yeah. Now that's over, let's continue yelling at each other. <laughs> yes. Forget about having 
productive conversations about difficult subjects. Yeah, let's just all fight some more. The guests are gone. We can. That's right. We can go about our business. Mm-hmm. We can go go back to not having to pretend to be nice to people we disagree with. We did have a week where Mokai couldn't make it. Um, during his last visit, he was uh, off to the East Coast to go visit some folks Philly. over there. Yeah. What, totally. what did we do during? We had Anna Shaw. We had Anna Shaw, and we toyed around with the idea of uh, some programming that we can do in Mokai's absence yeah. th- to complement the general idea of uh, productive conversations on difficult topics. Mokai definitely has an expertise in being very chill and non judgmental. And then occasionally there are things where he just doesn't have an experience in them. And I think. Yeah, he's a legal alien. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Um, he has that legal alien perspective that I so value. Talking with Anna about her experience um, stepping a little further away from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, Not the Mormons. No, because <laughs> they want to be associated right. with Christ from the Bible. Yes. Um, and uh, she she was, I don't know, it just kind of reignited. It was that visit with Anna plus a big... Facebook message group that I was in with several women from my previous church mm. and several other things that really just made me realize how many people are in the process of stepping out of some kind of fundamentalism bubble and how hard it is because you think you must be the only pioneer and the only rebel and you're still a little tiny bit worried about going to hell and then you gradually find other people who have done the same thing that you have and have been ostracized Survived. by their previous groups yeah. and are learning more things about each other and happier now. Right. And that's a decision that people can only make themselves. Right. Nobody can convince you to change the core of your belief of reality. Okay, I'm going to be devil's advocate now. Okay. You're talking about fundamentalism. Now, some people may not consider themselves fundamentalists. Like people who are very, have strongly held beliefs about how you should help the environment. That might be, I, I, well, sure, fundamentalism. No, you had truly, a definition, like, right? You if had a you definition. ever use plastic... Then you uh, hate the earth. You hate the earth, yes. And there's no suitable way, buy the $25 metal straw. It doesn't matter if it's in your budget. Either you want to save the earth or you hate the earth. So I've worked for a long time. I also come from a background of a, I would say, a very much a fundamentalist background. Um, coming from that background, there's the idea that fundamentalism, the way that I've heard it used, uh, mostly used in our culture, is really dealing with mainly the evangelical branch of the Christian religion. The primary part of fundamentalism is a strongly held religion, and then it goes to anybody who strictly adheres to the beliefs of a certain group. Of a certain group. Right. It doesn't matter what the group it is. It does start you with, could be, like... You could be a fundamentalist punk and wear a leather jacket in the middle of a summer in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. That's pretty fundamentalist. Doesn't make any sense and with reality. Punk, right. Not even really a punk at that point. Because your leather jacket will rot. Yes. Yeah. And it's also quite warm on the beach. Right. So that would be a kind of fundamentalism, mm-hmm. where you ascribe to the clothing, even though that clothing for the thing that you're a fundamentalist for. the for, reality you actually exist in. You exist in a different reality than the clothing that was branded for the thing that you're a fundamentalist for. On the East for. Coast maybe 30 years East ago. Coast, maybe London. <laughs> right. Right. So that's another form of fundamentalism, the idea of um, adhering to something closely to something um, while excluding other options, I think, is another important part of the equation. Strongly held beliefs that you must stick to dogmatically. Dogmatically, yes. Even when presented with new or other information 
that might could, challenge that dogma. that could potentially be more relevant to the actual world you live in. Right. So I think a lot of people, I don't know a lot of fundamentalists that call themselves fundamentalists. No, no, no. Because the whole, as someone who was inside yeah. of one of those strongly held beliefs. Did you bubbles. consider yourself fundamentalist? I no, I was I was the person that knew what the right thing was. Of course. And so until you have that tiny introduction of reasonable doubt where you realize maybe I don't actually know every single best right thing and then the walls start crumbling down. Until that point, everybody else is wrong and either you hate them or you're trying to save them, but they are wrong underneath your umbrella of whatever your belief system is. Right. Then you realize that you're just one person under one umbrella. And there are tons of other umbrellas possible. The image that you chose for the show is a is a sort of person in a bubble. Yes. I think that's kind of maybe an accurate metaphor, which ironically, people who are fundamentalists don't get. Metaphors. Metaphors and irony. Mm, I would say that's a sweeping generalization. And Broad that there are sweeping generalization. Lots of people that we know who are not fundamentalists. Or who are fun, they strictly adhere to their beliefs in spite of other information. But what was the thing you said? Um, I said something. <laughs> I made a broad sweeping you had generalization. A sweeping generalization. Oh, that fundamentalists cannot get irony. Well, that irony and uh, metaphor are often in. Sh that's not a big part of the fundamentalist mindset because right. fundamentalism is a by the book. Black and white, yes or no, right so or wrong. When you delve into irony and mm -hmm. metaphor, that starts to be stuff between the lines and mm -hmm. that's they're not interested generally with what's between the lines. They're interested in the lines. Well, and it, to take it further, the when I was growing up, anything that seems to be between the lines was considered to be sneaky Satan trying to slip one in on you. Basically, mm. like slip something in your drink that right. you wouldn't even realize you'd been tempted until later, like um, Harry Potter. Um, Narnia was okay because it was written by a Christian. So that was an okay metaphor. What was? Chronicles of Narnia with Aslan and the four kids that go right. through the wardrobe. That yep. was an okay metaphor. It's a for metaphor. For Jesus, Aslan is Jesus. Right. Lord of the Rings was kind of really not okay, but it's classic literature. And J.R. Tolkien was prop kind of a Christian also. So Very maybe, patriarchal, maybe Gandalf was Jesus. Yeah, it's pretty patriarchal there. <laughs> it's all patriarchal. Yeah. But Harry Potter, mm -mm, those wizards Witchcraft. are bad. Witchcraft? Yeah. Why, 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 why is Harry Potter not acceptable? It loses cred for being new. Okay. It, a lot of cred for not being classic uh, literature. New, right. It was written by a woman. Apparently, the Lord's not writing an anymore. The Lord stopped writing about two thousand years ago. Is that right, what happened? You're going off subject. Okay. <laughs> He's got writer's block. We're not going to be able to help people who are finding their way gradually out of the bubble by mocking the things that they're not sure they want to leave yet. Maybe just a little bit. No. <laughs> Maybe over drinks. So that's the question. Uh, is the audience here people who have, uh, you know, we got a little note from our friend uh, Kathleen Shortridge here. She said she was in a bubble for a while until like three years ago. Wow. And so wow. she understands what we're getting at. So are that's we talking awesome. to Kathleen? Are we talking to people whose bubbles have popped and now they're so, in the world outside of the fundamentalist bubble? Or are we also still talking to people who are in the bubble through the bubble? You know, we had this conversation earlier today, yeah. and I kind of came to the conclusion that I'm not sure if you can do both right. in one show, mainly because I don't think the work of stepping out of the bubble can be done by anyone except that person. 
I agree. The bubble can be popped by other people. Right. Which can only be received if it's done with kindness and gentleness and respect, like how people did for you. I don't know if the bubble can be popped by other people. I think you pop your own bubble. I don't mean pop as in it disappears. I mean pop and it starts going like... Weaken the... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, like that, that. <laughs> that can go on for years. Yes, and for me it did. Until the saggy rubber around you gets too much. <laughs> you just tear it out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a new man. Oh, a person. Um, my, I would say I met my first gay person. For, you met a gay person? How old Well, you? the p- first person I knew was gay. That was out? That, that looked like a gay person. The acted way, like a gay person. Acted like a gay person. Was a gay person. <laughs> Didn't have a 666 on their forehead. Oh. And like I was told would happen. Like they they're just tr- bad. They weren't trying to turn you gay? No, they weren't. Oh. They were, you know, and they weren't like adopting children to pervert them. Oh. It was just some late teens guy that I met in college and we were kind of friends. And then one day he started crying on my shoulder because his boyfriend had dumped him. And then what happened to you? I had a fundamental earth shattering heart moment where I'm a very empathetic person and this friend kid is crying on my shoulder because his loved one broke up with him and I'm just like how can I have he and his boyfriend in the same sentence like because you're not supposed to be with somebody of the same gender and also I'm sad for him because he's obviously just a a sad person who's lost a loved one and that was the like moment and then I just sort of started collecting gay moments for a long time um, until I was like, okay, if all of these people are going to hell just because they're gay, even though they seem to be better people than the ones I'm in church with, then I don't, I don't know if I want to... That was like the first thought. I don't, I don't know if I really want to be part of that group when all of the best people that I know are outside of it. So Not just gay people. That would be the introduction of reasonable doubt. Yes. And in that process where you're collecting your gay moments, where you are finding... <laughs> that was the beginning. <laughs> right. It's the beginning. That's where you have to... You're confronted with mm-hmm. new information. So you're familiar with the term uh, cognitive dissonance. Yeah. But the audience might not be. Um, should we look it up? I'll look it up and you describe it with dark words. I'll describe it with dark words and then be corrected by the dictionary. Um, <laughs> so cognitive dissonance, from what I understand is there's a moment where new information challenges a dogma and then you have to decide to go with the new information or live with the dissonance of your own cognitive abilities telling you that that is challenging it's challenging your dogma and so you have to sever some part of reality at that point. Mm-hmm. Either the one you've had so far or the one that you're that you experiencing. May, or the one that you may be coming to. Right. Or may, might be coming to you. And a lot that. of people in the fundamentalist religions that I've known, when confronted with new information that makes a lot of instinctive sense to them, but is against their strongly held beliefs, will just double down like folded steel. And every time it gets easier and easier to ignore new information that matches reality for the sake of the strongly held belief that you have to stick to. One, right. because the more you do it, the better of a habit it gets to just ignore new information. And two, because the longer you do that, if you were at some point to encounter information that you really did want to believe, that would mean you had wasted the whole rest of the time you were being loyal to the early beliefs. That's the feeling. Yeah. Is that you had wasted your previous cognitive life. Yeah. 
So, and everything. Uh, <laughs> Some people stay in really long marriages and never leave them, even when they do learn new stuff, because it feels like they would have wasted. They would have wasted the time. Their whole that investment like, of time. Adult life. Right. So Copacetic Conversations uh, Media Maven has posted something on our on our live stream. Uh, Copacetic Conversations in the field of psychology, cognitive dissonance is the mental discomfort experienced by a person who holds two or more contradictory beliefs, ideas, or values. This discomfort is triggered by a situation in which a person's belief clashes with new evidence uh, perceived by the person. So, New evidence that they find frustratingly convincing. Right. That's convincing me. It is putting a ding in my belief. Right. It makes it a little harder to believe what I've been believing this whole time. So what happens in, in acute fundamentalism is when you're faced with the new information and you have to make a choice between something that seems like the better option, the more cogent option, the more cognitively viable option. Actually matches your experience. It matches your experience. You're faced with that or the investment that you've made in a belief that has become part of identity. That's mm -hmm. the other part. That's where religious trauma comes in. Is that your identity is 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 formed around certain beliefs, and when those beliefs are challenged, it's not just your belief being challenged. It is your identity, possibly your clan, your tribe identity. Your whole family. All your family might be incorrect. And so you have to make a choice between this little new information or this whole lineage of tradition. That's another right. way to look at it. Right. How could everybody before you be wrong? Well, so maybe maybe they are. So you have to make the choice. And this is where we are, I feel like, in our culture with this sort of hyper-partisan culture. Um, we could step aside from religion and look at politics as a way to see how people have decided I am a Republican. Mm -hmm. And even though this Donald Trump guy really goes against a lot of my beliefs, goes against a lot of my feelings, mm -hmm. goes against my actual political um, uh, identity, mm -hmm. I now have to face a choice. Do I, do I not be a Republican anymore? Or do I double down on Republican and support somebody for the long game, right? right? So Trump will come and go. Somebody else who maybe will come in who's a Republican that is closer to my held beliefs. So I will weather the storm mm -hmm. of, quote unquote, of this Trump guy. Like weathering a bad pastor. Like a bad pastor in mm -hmm. your church. You or someday church, I'll move right? out of my dad's house, but I'll still be Christian. So the same thing happens with maybe the Democrat. Mm -hmm. You know, it happens on both sides. So It's you, a false dichotomy, though, now right. that you're explaining it like that. Yeah. Um, or a false premise, rather. Okay. Maybe both, where you're saying either I have to stay a Republican, even though it sucks, right. or I have to stop being a Republican. That's the feeling. That's the feeling when, in fact, and that's the fundamentalist feeling, is that everything is yes and no, black and white. Some people will go from fundamentalist Christian to fundamentalist atheism. They hate Christians. They hate religion. They think it's all wrong and nothing good can come from it. That is also fundamentalism, black and white, yes or no, right or wrong. It's just that right or wrong was the incorrect one. Now I have found the real right or wrong. Right. So that's a much deeper Correct. problem. Correct. <laughs> so when in fact there are options like I still identify with most core Republican beliefs, but this guy is not good for my family or for our country's reputation, so I will vote for somebody else this election and still support Republicans in general who aren't violating my strongly held beliefs. That's still an option. You know, like my family would say there are 
only one type of correct Christian. And a lot of people that I've met practice Christianity in far different ways than my parents would think is appropriate because they are not strictly adhering to the Bible. Yes. Kathleen Shortridge, who's been following us, who said we've, we, we've, we've tapped into an experience with her where she was fundamentalist and then maybe not so much. Fundamentalist what? Uh, she was spent 10 years in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I think. Okay. Let's see. This, where did she say here? Um, by the way, she's south of Tijuana, Baja, California. Peninsula is what they call it, not a penis. Peninsula. <laughs> so not a phallic landmass or whatever I called it earlier. <laughs> Well, I'm um, not turned on by the state of California, so I guess that's okay to say on the radio. It's not the state. It's Mexico, actually. What did she say? <laughs> anyway, she said uh, she was in a bubble like three years ago. She said she was a Jehovah's Witness for over 10 years. And it took her learning about the Australian Royal Commission. And I started to question. It takes just one step to ooze that bubble. Mm-hmm. So that's the reasonable doubt that you, you mentioned early on. Push on it, push on it, push on it. You pop your finger through. Sometimes you do it. Sometimes somebody else is just like, but what right. about Noah's Ark? And it actually right. starts raising a bunch of questions. <laughs> Where did all the water go? The more we talk about this, well, I have an answer for that, but I, it's not necessarily this I, I now laugh at evolutionism and creationism equally, and I haven't found a new beginning of the universe belief to hold strongly. Right. right. <laughs> but I, the more we talk about this, the more I'm, I'm, you know, I'm kind of developing this show as we go based on conversations that I've had with many people over the years and mine and Dark's own conversations about our fundamentalist cultish religious upbringing. Yes. Um, I think that maybe right now my working model is there are three steps to stepping out of a fundamentalism bubble. Oh, yeah? What are the three steps? In my mind right now, and this is just sort of happening live. You're not a fundamentalist. You can change this at any moment. (laughs) You can revise in the face of new information. Try not to feel stupid for getting it not as best the first time. Right. Um, I think maybe the first step is the introduction of reasonable doubt. Right. Either you realize something's not quite as rock solid as I thought my beliefs were, or somebody else comes to you with information in a way that you can receive it, and then you think something's not quite right about my beliefs. Mm. <laughs> um, and so then you swim around in that soup for an indeterminate amount of time. For some people, it, step one and step two just happen like that. Introduction of reasonable doubt, and then boom, they're done with it. They're like, right. well, time to move on to new pastors. Um, and for some people, it can take years. You know, I spent like eight years muddling about trying to make Christianity work with the new things that I was learning, finally being out of the house. And because I really loved my Christian family and my church, they were my only friends. It was my only group. And I was really worried about maybe getting it wrong because that's like, what if you're wrong and then you die right? and you'll go to hell with hashtag witnessing. Um, (laughs) and, And so that's step two is when you finally get out, when you finally are like, okay, I'm just going to go through this door in this cupboard and suddenly come out into a forest that shouldn't be here. And then I'll just have to find my way around, you know? And so you step out. And for me, it was like all brave new world. I had to decide I couldn't keep trying to please my family members, please God, please the church and stay alive. Right. And so I decided to stop pleasing everybody else. And I didn't immediately drop into hell. And I learned a lot and it's been a lot of hard work in the three years since then. Um, And so then there's that bridge. And if you continue to remain post-fundamentalist, 
then you will continue to travel on the bridge to who knows where. And some people have gotten so far and into so many interesting things because their minds continue to open more and more. What my family used to say growing up is if you have too much of an open mind, your brain will fall out. Your brain will fall out, yes. And honestly, I think you actually get a stronger brain because it's not just sitting around eating potatoes in your skull. Like, it has to actually work to live in the world. That's my an exchange right. metaphor. <laughs> There's the Thomas Paine quote about, you know, when you're dealing with people who've given up reason and logic, mm-hmm. who are not operating within the realm of reason and logic, it's like, um, it's, it's this challenge, it's, it's like administering medicine to the dead. Mm. Like, if your brain is already locked in right. uh, to a reality, then talking about another reality to that brain is not going to have a place to land. Carry on. Yes. Try that again in a different way. All right. Where was I? Something about giving medicine to people who aren't oh, right, interested right, right, in it. Right. That idea of of um, the thing with uh, the the when a brain is dead is when you stop having mental activity. When the brain stops functioning, then you're clinically dead. And so, if you're living in a dogmatic world, you've already know the answers. And you're not exploring answers anymore. It's kind of akin to a kind of brain death because now you're just repeating what you know, solidifying what you know, uh, in the face of new information, which you choose not to engage. You choose not to download, integrate, have to make it a part of the whole. You decide, well, I'm just not going to do that. So that's the 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 challenge of going a post fundamentalist is that in the post-fundamentalist world, you are, it's much easier to be black and white. It's much easier to decide if something is good for you or bad for you according to your dogma. Right or wrong, no matter which right. one you it, ascribe to. I look at it like, a, like Some, having a funnel in your brain and a, a ball goes in and there's two funnels. There's a right funnel and a wrong funnel and it's going to go into one or the other. It's not going to end up in gray zone. You're not going to suddenly create the possibility for more funnels. Right, so going post-fundamentalist... We're definitely going to have to have a show about is there right or wrong is at there? some point. Is there? I really clung to that. What's the definition of I is? I clung to that. Oh, brother. <laughs> it's a long discussion. Yeah, we're going to have to do that one on a separate show because I really clung to that for like three years, that there is still right or wrong. The Christians just didn't quite know what it was. And so, that yeah, that's a whole... I finally did let go of the need for there to be a right and wrong, and I think that's where you really step out of having a fundamentalist mindset. Hmm is letting go of the need to know without a doubt what is right and what is wrong. It's, that's kind of a, that's a difficult thing to let go of. Because yeah. for a lot of people, it's that, hard is to feel the, safe. that is the, 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 the poles from which you orient your gravity in the world. Mm-hmm. Right. And if there's not a universal right and wrong, then how can you ever how, trust anyone? How's oh my your God. compass going to work if it's spinning around in circles? Right. How do you know where to go? There are all kinds of metaphors for clinging to that belief. Right. We have somebody in the studio who showed up. Thank you for, uh, thanks for having me in, Dark. Uh, Daniel Lodi. You got it. Hello. Welcome, Welcome. to the show. Hello. You look it's, like it's, you were doing some hard labor of some kind. Um, yes. Sawdust? Just, um, well, elevator drama. With, uh, <laughs> yeah. So. Did you get stuck in an elevator? No. No, okay. it's, uh, just, uh, it just got shut down. So. Oh, no. So you, now you can't get into your house? Until the state inspector comes. So. Oh, geez. <laughs> Welcome to the radio station. <laughs> He's got the little craze in his eyes like, oh, I don't know what to do. 
Uh, welcome to the show. Sorry, sorry you couldn't make the beginning of it. You you just came in late from work. Is that the deal? Yeah, yeah. No, I was um, late from trying to get into his house. Well, oh. no, it wasn't my house. So. <laughs> oh, uh, but um, a little bit of a little bit of maintenance work, and then uh, trying to. Uh, figure things out with the state inspector, and Jeez. now, 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 we're, now we're, we got things figured out, and we're going in a good direction, oh, so good. I finally got off. Sweet. Well, well, we have 30 minutes left to our show, so I'm really looking forward to getting to know about your journey from thing to thing. So I don't know if you were able to catch anything that was happening yeah. heretofore, so we're sort of making a little bit of segue from um, the show that Mokai and I hosted to a show that uh, Ainsley and I are going to be dealing with and the topic has changed from explaining american culture to a uh, uh alien perspective mm-hmm. from an outside perspective uh we're going to come back inside mm-hmm. um as In, inside the u.s inside the u.s fundamentalist, fundamentalist experience. experience and and that travel mm. that journey from going from one identity to another identity, the feelings and the challenges of leaving identity when it's wrapped around politics or religion or your or family, environmentalism or nationalism or sex or race. So um, that's kind of the bridge crossing that we've been talking about in this show is how do you get f- there from here? Yeah. How do you get from one side to another side so when, when we you ta- realize that's uh, possible? Yeah. So we were talking with you. And it's you kind of volunteered to Dark that you wanted to come and talk about post orthodoxy of some kind. Yes. Um, what? What's your deal, man? What's your story? Yeah. What were you in? Where are you now, and where did you come from? So here's the deal, guys. Cotton Eye Joe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, I, I grew up in a um, I, I grew up in a uh, pr- pretty uh, pr- pretty strict Pentecostal type of uh, type of church. And home, um, you know, not allowed to watch PG movies. Mm-hmm. PG. PG. Oh. Okay, now wait a minute. Wait a second. Help me, help me explain <laughs> some things, because like maybe I'm gonna, maybe I know the terms, maybe I don't. Okay. What's the difference between Pentecostal and what's the other P word for white people who are in church? Protestant. Protestant. Yeah. What's the difference between Protestant and Pentecostal? Is so much Pentecostal <laughs> Protestant? What's, it technically, it technically is. If you look at the, if you look at a. Um, just the, like, like a tree a, of like development. Tree. Yeah, because okay. uh, the the Protestant movement, uh, that that the Protestant Reformation, that happened um, oh, with Martin Luther. Um, Martin mm. Luther, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Sure. Uh, back in the back in the what was it, the fifteen sixteen hundreds? Right. You can only be saved by grace, not by your works. Correct. That was like his whole modus. Yeah. Yeah, and and so then it was from that movement that uh, the Baptists got born, the Pentecostals got born, that the uh, I believe the Pentecostals. If I, correct me if I'm wrong, I think they came around somewhere in the 1800s, and okay. then um, the Pentecostals LD- have been around since the 1800s. Yeah, yeah. But I think they were more of an 18 late 1800s yeah. movement, mm-hmm. like revival era. Mm-hmm. They right. probably came out of a, the so Pentecostals will like feel the spirit. It's really funny. So there was Martin Luther, and then protestants and pentecostals and the protestants just went further and further into the study of the bible and more strict liturgy and the pentecostals went more and more into spiritualism and connecting with the holy spirit mm. and and like singing and dancing when nobody else is singing speaking and in da- tongues speaking in tongues yeah. yeah right well you know which all sounds so that's good. where you started from yeah that's where i started from and all that sounds good on the surface but <laughs> <laughs> i mean i always enjoyed it because i got to actually have emotions about jesus finally oh i see <laughs> not just know that he's the only right god right intellectually you right but it, it creates like this weird social condition in the church where uh, the holier than thou perspective or not perspective mm. but a holier than thou attitude takes place 
oh, I did, you know, Barbara over there, mm-hmm. she wasn't raising her hands during the, during, during the, the I've spoken in tongues. It. Have you ever spoken in tongues before? I, I, I tried at a bonfire, uh, really high <laughs> on caffeine. I don't know if you're supposed to try. I think God's supposed to come to you, right? right. Well, <laughs> well, How'd it go? I, I, I'm not going to deny, I'm not going to deny tongues, but, uh, I believe, uh, I believe it was Paul said in the New Testament that, um, uh, this is complete paraphrasing here, mm. but it it's is fine. pretty much. It, it, it's better to speak a few words in your own in a tongue that somebody can understand than a, a thousand words in one that they cannot speak uh-huh. to the audience. So it just depends on if you're talking to the audience or if you're in conversation with the ineffable, maybe. Mm-hmm. And the and the only other time uh, that, as far as my research has concluded, um, on on speaking on speaking in tongues was when one man was speaking in his own tongue and thousands of other people listening to him were able to understand them in their native tongue. Wow. Uh, that's how it's supposed to be. That's the way it should go. That's what it's yeah. supposed to be like. So perhaps they took and ran with that and it blew way out of proportion. But yeah, no, um, I, I raised with my, uh, I was raised with my mom speaking tongues um, and that, in and, and that kind of church setting. And it was, it became very normal. And uh, until about the time I was, uh, they, they kind of quit going. They kept on getting burned, and I don't blame them. Burned. So the holier-than-thou thing started taking place, and, oh, you're, oh. You, you must not love Jesus because you're not spending every waking moment of your life down at the church. Mm. So it's one-upmanship. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And devotion. Which is, like, literally what Martin Luther was preaching against. It's not about how many good Christian things you do. It's that only Jesus can save you. Mm-hmm. So okay. be grateful. Right. Like you're never going to be good enough for the kingdom of God, no matter how hard you try. It's not about showing off for each other. It's, so it's how, that, or, how old were you when you met this juncture? Uh, so I was about 13 or 14 at the time. Okay. Um, at that point, I uh, I did something that uh, my parents at, at that point would have thought I was going to go to hell for. I went to the Baptist church. <laughs> <laughs> just to even audit the not church, what right? I was just expecting. to go check it. <laughs> just, to, just to go check it. And um, I, I ended up uh, with, the, with the Baptist, uh, not as an official member by any means, but uh, that was for... Oh, until I was about 18, and then I thought... How did you keep your double life secret from your parents? Or did you? Oh, and I didn't keep it secret. <laughs> but at the time, they thought, oh, no, our poor son. Yeah, pretty much. And now my mom goes to a Catholic church, so... Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> she needed something a little more tightened up for her yeah. later years. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you only got so much energy for... Um, Dancing uh, and I rolling mean, in the ro- aisles. Rolling in the aisles is kind of painful. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. And, and Catholic churches have padded kneelers. That's true. That helps. Oh, you, you think that's nice? Actually, you think <laughs> you think rolling around the floor is, floor is bad? I went to an Amish church one time. Actually, oh. I went to an Amish church for about three months until I decided I was beginning to have back problems because <laughs> their pews had no backs. Right. And they oh, were geez. hard wooden benches. Because right. comfort is temptation. Oh. Yeah. You can't have that temptation of comfort. Oh my gosh. So you went from. So four years, you're you're finding your own form of devotion. Yes. Right. You're finding your own way. I don't know what to call it. Is I it like devotion? That. Is it witness? Is it uh, practice? However, you want to define I, that. I missed. Well, there's devotion. Like um, I need to have. I want to have something to be in awe of. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's I want to have a meaningful group to participate in. Sometimes it's I would like to have a meaningful ritual to help me mark the time or to keep me disciplined. That's why I went looking for something else. So you did eight years, no, four years or so. And then what did something change from there? Um, so at that point, um, 
I was I was interested in more traditional style churches. Um, I, I really like what really started me kind of on that tangent was my fascination with four part, part acapella uh, singing. Mm. Uh. Um, and so I started kind of searching for this. Okay, what kind of churches do this? Oh, the Amish do it, and the Mennonites do it. Well, the Amish kind of do it. And because you know, no offense to people who like the the, the modern Christian music, it's decent. But it's definitely not my style. Okay, that's fair. That's <laughs> yeah. a fair assessment. It's like pop music. Yeah. yeah. It's, well, it's it's a copy of pop music. Right. That's my opinion. Anyway, mm. so you were you went on a musical journey. Yes, uh, searching for the kind of style of worship service I liked. Okay, yeah. and that was uh, that was my perspective at that point. You know, I, I um, I'm still pretty devout in uh, the church I'm at now, and I'll go into that later here. Uh, but I found myself in the Mennonite church. Hmm. Um, which was a very interesting experience. And it was mm-hmm. the singing that brought you there? Yeah, and okay. the singing is beautiful. And by all means, next time someone has got the opportunity to go and listen to some singing at a Mennonite church, mm. they're usually more than happy to let people come in and listen because mm. uh, it is... Heavenly? It is mm. pitch perfect for... Mm. Per, per, uh, and everybody's singing, so... Right, the whole <laughs> congregation. Mm. Which, which was absolutely fascinating to me. And then... My experience was once I first started getting to that, I started realizing, like, hey, there's a lot of legalism here. I thought God is supposed to be loving and Christ is supposed to be loving and accepting. Like and forgiveness and stuff. And then I, I, I finally, I said, I was with the with the minister, and he um, said, Daniel, I, I, I really think that you should quit telling jokes. Mm. I said, like, excuse me? At all or during and church? D- at all. Oh. And he's quoted something I about not speaking foolishly and oh yeah so okay and that was that a line for you um so no I uh I um what did I do that night I think I went home and bought a six-pack of beer and just th- thought okay what's what's gonna happen now because you weren't supposed to drink so I just felt like being rebel at oh, that point. oh oh <laughs> so he pushed you over the edge right. a little bit right like, there with that oh yeah yeah, yeah. I'm like yeah, I'm gonna do some this. really hardcore yeah <laughs> I'm gonna drink some beer yeah <laughs> Uh, the, the next morning, I looked for a job, and that's what brought me to Butte. Um, how, I, old, how old were you then? I was 20, 21 and a half. 20, huh. Old enough 22. to buy beer. Well, I yeah. just listened to you and Paula last night cutting up the rug when you guys were perf- performing music, and it was so funny. You just both worked off each other so humorously in between the songs. I'm glad nobody shut that gift down for you. I'm, I'm glad it was, too, uh, or, that, or that nobody shut that gift down as well, because if I would have had stayed with the Mennonites, I would have had to give up uh, playing musical instruments. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of the some of the people in town might know me from uh, playing. Um, I've, I've played the organ at uh, one of the local churches for Holy Thursday mm. uh, mm-hmm. here back over the Easter season. Uh, of course, some other places in town. But um I'm, and those have been some opportunities that I'm very thankful for, and I'm really glad that had, they had not been uh, taken from me. Of yeah. course. Um, so getting out of that and coming to Butte and sitting back and taking a t- taking a bigger look at my my life, I stayed in the more uh, Protestant churches until um, I've think I found where I do believe I uh, intend on staying for perhaps my entire life. Aww. So, um, at, at the Orthodox Christian Church. Um, Is it okay for me to ask you how old you are? Uh, 25. Okay. 
That's so, a long journey. That's so like Orthodox, 11 years of figuring out what it is you want to be believing. Mm-hmm. So the Orthodox Christian Church, uh, how would you describe them? Like, because I'm, and I'm asking from, like, I, I come from a very sort of, I, I don't know if it's fringe, definitely cult level Christian. Mm-hmm. And so everybody, not us is bad. And so I was not encouraged to go explore all the various different kinds Temptation. of Christianity. So how, I don't, I'm not familiar. So how would you describe it in contrast to maybe um, mainstream Protestantism? Is that different? Uh, there is a, there's a huge difference. Um, okay. Yeah, they're not even uh, remotely close. So, uh, so the Orthodox Christian Church would be essentially the Eastern Orthodox Church. Um, it is the oldest established Christian religion. Um, it's it's got history going back to uh, 33 A.D. Actually, do you have to wear funny hats? Um, Aren't they the ones I, that have I think kind the, of a square? I don't, uh, no, that the the parishioners definitely don't. But if oh, you yeah. know, I think the bishop wears a. If there's a bishop, sometimes He's they, they wear something. The bishop thing. Yeah, the pointy thing. Well, I haven't even seen the Orthodox one. I don't know if it's similar to the Catholic. So if your bishop isn't your all-the-time pastor, who is your all-the-time pastor, and what do you call them? They would be a priest or a father, insert name here. So that sounds like Catholicism to me. Is it an offshoot of Catholicism? Does Catholicism recognize? Yeah, so uh, uh, Catholicism is an offshoot of orthodoxy. Oh. Yeah. So um, there was there was something that happened after. So as as uh, some of you might know, they uh, Rome fell. I believe it was around <laughs> in I, the beginning. I heard in about the beginning, that. Rome fell <laughs> in 700 A.D. He just went into Sean Connery suddenly. I love it. <laughs> uh, so. Stop joking, or you're going to go to hell. Um, okay. Darn. <laughs> darn um, dang it. <laughs> so um, Rome got rebuilt. Around 1200, and that's right around the time that uh, that's right around what was called the Great Schism. That Mm -hmm. was when they're like, okay, we don't like what you're doing, and they don't. They they kind of had this disagreement, and they they split. So that would be the Catholics and the Orthodox. And the Orthodox. What was it that the Catholics didn't like that they left Orthodox Christianity? Um, I am I'm unsure of exactly the exact details, but some of the um, some of the highlights. Some of the highlights. Give us your whole church history. The whole church history. No, Um, no, no, no. We want to learn about you. (laughs) Well, um, long story short, uh, the Orthodox Church is uh, not under the jurisdiction of the uh, Pope. The the highest jurisdiction in the Orthodox uh, Christian Church is the bishop. Okay. Weird. So the Catholics left and said, we're just going to dub ourselves the big hit on the block. Numbers help. We're just going to invent a Pope thing and it's better than your bishop so there i'm, I'm really dumbing it down i know so, so when we take a when you take orthodoxy versus western christianity um so if you can picture the food pyramid mm-hmm. um with the um the highest power at the top and then the lowest power at the bottom i mean in traditional christianity western christianity that is uh post-roman uh post-roman catholic um you have your parishioners are there; they're on the bottom of the, of the right. triangle, and mm-hmm. then it just goes up from there. Mm-hmm. Um, it, now, in orthodoxy, uh, it would be safe to say that that triangle's turned upside down. Okay. So, where the parishioners are held at the highest regard, and the the um, uh, the, the what we would say leadership uh, leadership yeah. is 
more of a servant, less of a dictator. Uh, dictator. Oh, nice. So it's a complete paradigm shift from Western Christianity. Mm-hmm. And it works uh, very well. And mm. it, it has, it's been, it's been perfected for, well, almost 2,000 years. Right. So is there a Orthodox Christian church here in Butte? There sure is. Yep, that'd be... Is that uh, the one with the doors, the colored doors on it? Uh, negative. That would okay. be the one off a of Continental. Mm. And that's uh, that's my parish. And um, uh, if, any, if Father Russell's a, a, over there is the, is the priest, uh, he is a wealth of information. Hmm. Well, that that's, we'll have to interview him sometime because I really do want to know more about your journey. Do you think you're... Your guy over there huh? would be open to uh, discussing on a show such as this? As a matter of fact, I talked to him on the phone today, and uh. um, I said, hey, uh, I'm going to be talking at KPMF. What do you think about uh, maybe coming up and talking at some point? And, and he is uh, very, very interested. Neat. Yeah. That's so, great. Yeah, he so would love to come up. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Yes. I have a question. Carry on. Because um, we only have about 11 minutes left. Did you ever consider or try... Uh, religions or practices outside of those having to do with Jesus and the Bible? Um, I, I've not. I've not ventured into those areas. Were you just not in, like, I don't, you know, Buddhism and you know, not really my thing, or, um, you know, Islam, or I guess yeah, they how do you, how do you, uh, how did you pick which you things feel, you were going to try? Yeah. So perhaps it was just because I was, I was raised in, in a Christian setting. Mm. Um, it's, but also on the, on the practical side of things, how I, came to the conclusion to stick with the Christian church. It's not that I really ever considered any much, but uh, throughout all the different religions, uh, there is not one that I know of that has a Savior who came, Jesus, mm-hmm. who, came to, he, who came to die for other people's sins. Okay. And what's the meaning of that for you? Um, well, um, it's... It, it's that's a, it's that's a whole other topic itself. Sure. It, it, it's, it's a big it's, it's a, a big it's topic. Right thing because if you have some guy that let's just say uh, Billy 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 Joe took uh, uh, you know the, the punishment for let's just say all of Butte was gonna go get burned at the stake and he's like nope do me instead I'll do it right I'll do it if you save these guys so that was it would have been in kind of that sort of a in a, in a context mm-hmm. so why. What would the saying that you prefer Christianity because it includes somebody to save people from their sins um, is making the assumption that people are committing sins that they need to be saved from. So, um, if I'm, I'm so one one topic or one thing I'm going to bring up is sin in itself. What is sin? Now, orthodoxy has a different perspective. Yeah, I'd like to hear it. So it is, it simply just means missing the mark. Oh, that's what you always say. That's uh, Sin is an archery term. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, which it's how far you are from the mark that you're shooting for. Yeah, and the distance if, of, I, if, I, yeah. If, I, if I sin, which I do, I miss the mark a lot. Sure. God's not up there with a lightning bolt ready to strike me down. He's not, he's not there with a ruler ready to slap me on the hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we say it 15 times during our liturgy every Sunday is God is a good God who loves mankind. When you take in the Western model of a, of a legalistic dangling something over you mm-hmm. to be good or else, be good or else and um, you can use that to, um, 
what would that be? Dictate a group of people mm-hmm. versus people who want to willingly. Um, I completely lost my train of thought there. Oh, we're talking no. about. But, so no. Um, if you can think of more of a medical model. Okay. So let's just say. Let's let's just let's just pretend the church is a hospital or is like Saint whatever hospital. People go to the hospital not to get chastised by a doctor. Mm. People don't go to the hospital to get, well, you idiot, I can't believe you're smoking and get out of here if you keep on smoking or, mm-hmm. oh, you got cancer. And versus, you don't, a hospital would not stay in business if that's how they were doing it, first of all. Second of all, that is just not good. Right. Um, now, if you want to take that into a, if you want, now let's, now let's turn it back to the church. The Orthodox Church would be more of a medical model, a church where it is a place to be made well. Okay. So the the Western Western we'll go back to Western Christianity. Um, the way the Western Christianity views is we're born into the world, we're born sinful, mm-hmm. and we're just going to get worse. And we would believe that we're born in God's image. We are all made in God's image. And I and I, I true heartedly believe that. Does that mean clean slate, perfect when you're born? Yeah. Okay. And then so sin, sin comes in, and we miss the mark, and it gets bent and twist, twisted, and Christ straightens it out. So back to the medical model. If somebody comes in um, to church, and they're like, so "There's some churches. Oh, well, you struggle with homosexuality. Get out of here." Mm-hmm. The Orthodox churches. Okay, and so. So that's not an issue for that uh, church. Well, no, no. It's, it? it's, no, it's, no. Just, it's, it's just viewed as anything else. It's not like this whole um, thing of... I'm using that as a gross comparison for... Or not gross, but big comparison for when... Um, there's. I've heard a lot of churches where they're kicking people out for, for different... For being gay. Uh, you know, from a Christian's perspective, let's just call it sins. Okay. Right. So... Versus... Um, being made well. Right. Versus being helped. Well, and there's in Western Christianity type religions, there's definitely um, a concept of worst sins and lesser sins. And if you're going to actually go by the Bible, there is no worse or lesser sin. There's just sin, Mm -hmm. except where some people are more uncomfortable with certain sins or maybe more triggered by certain sins, or maybe they struggle with that sin and they're trying to keep it a secret. So are you familiar with Buddhism at all or any of the different kinds of Buddhism? So like what you were describing earlier, um, the idea of sin, Mm -hmm. right, of missing the mark. Um, In Soka Gakkai Buddhism, the idea is you chant for what you want. It would be equivalent to praying, but you chant for what you want. And the idea is you chant for what you want, and then if you get it, then you realize whether that's actually the thing that's going to make you happy or not make you happy. Mm-hmm. So the idea is to pursue the things that the human wants to decide if it makes the human happy. Otherwise, it becomes like the cookie jar on top of the fridge that you're not supposed to touch that becomes an obsession. But you're always wondering about you're it. You're always you wondering never... about it. So like, it seems like the idea of what you're talking about, the idea of sin in the Orthodox Church would be something akin to that, where um, you're striving to be, is it happiness or is it wholeness? 
or is it healthiness? How would you describe what the aspiration is? I, I would say spir- uh, spiritual health. Um, spiritual health. Spiritual health. Yes. Okay. And it sounds like because I, I don't go there for me. I don't. I don't go there to be entertained. I go there because I to take communion, to fellowship, to participate. It's participatory. Per- to be part of something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's participating in Christ. How's the music over at that church? Well, uh, it is absolutely beautiful. Oh, also, four part harmony, a cappella. Nice. All right, all right. Yeah, and uh, I, I would say probably, I, I'm going to say Gregorian chants just because people mm. are more familiar of that style of singing. Mm. This would be like, so it's a, the, the church was founded by the Serbians here in Butte. And so it's going to okay, be more of your church. Serbian chants, mm-hmm. more of your Serbian mm-hmm. Slavonic chants. Mm-hmm. Right. We've been doing a lot to squeeze uh, these kinds of conversations into an hour time frame. Daniel only had half an hour, and I think we covered a lot of ground. Um, do you have anything? Uh, do you have anything you want to wrap up with here in terms of? We started down the road of you going from one place to another. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're struggling with a name for the show because the idea of post orthodoxy. Now you're saying you're, you're in the Orthodox, Orthodox Church. It's not about necessarily post-orthodoxy as much as it is post-fundamentalism, I think. And orthodoxy in general, with its definition in the dictionary, is strictly adhering to beliefs as laid forth in some kind of canon like the Bible. Okay. So the, so the, the direct uh, translation for orthodox uh, would be ortho, which would be um, proper. Okay. Dox would be uh, for doxology. So proper worship is what that would technically mean. Okay, proper, which is different than dogmatic. Or correct. True. Or correct. correct. Mm-hmm. Proper or correct. Huh, that's good to know. Yeah. Maybe it's not the right name for the show then. Maybe it's not. We're going to work on it. We don't have a name for the show. but Yeah, uh, um, let's talk again sometime. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. This is always enjoyable to be in the, be in the KBMF studios mm-hmm. in beautiful Butte, Montana. That's right. I would like to say hello to Molly Joy Lodi. Oh, that would be my sister. Yeah, and that's what she said. She's like, "That's my brother." <laughs> <laughs> and it sounds like Kathleen Shortridge has got some things to talk about as well. Sure. Um, uh, she said, "Your brain is a muscle. When it's open, you're using it. Mm-hmm. It's the whole thing. The right. brain is only like like a parachute. It's only good when it's open." Oh, see, there are so many little quippy so phrases many, to right. support your strongly held belief. Exactly, and my beliefs are the correct ones. <laughs> No. Um, right. My beliefs are correct. That's no, right. No, <laughs> <laughs> no mine. Um, so uh, thanks for be, at least coming for half the show today. Yeah. I'm glad we got you I in here I hope your elevator bit. gets fixed soon. I, yeah. I hope so, too. The The stairs are unhandy mm-hmm. to um, walk five floors. Laundry Ooh. and grocery day becomes a whole other thing. Ooh. Sad. Well, thanks for coming in. Uh, Daniel, this is Dark Sevier. And Red-Handed Jill. Red-Handed Jill. Uh, Daniel Lodi, thanks for being our guest on Copacetic Conversations. The show will change, but it will continue. If something's not changing, it's dying. That's right. Uh, Thanks for playing, folks. Uh, Stay tuned. You can join the post-Orthodoxy conversation by catching one of our live streams on Facebook, Twitch, or YouTube. If you'd like to connect with us online, we can be found on Instagram at post-Orthodoxy, on Twitter and Facebook as ourselves, and on Twitch as The Seviers. Our work on the post-Orthodoxy conversations is supported by listeners like you through our Patreon, where patrons of the show have access to perks and exclusive content. That's patreon.com slash post-Orthodoxy. Post-Orthodoxy began as a live radio broadcast on KBMF 102.5 FM, America's Most Radio. 
Find other quality radio shows by the 70-plus volunteer DJs on the station archive at butteamericaradio.org slash shows. Or you can stream live 24-7 from anywhere on the planet at butteamericaradio.org slash stream. Our post-Orthodoxy theme music was composed by Frank Pascal, and a special thanks goes to our voice actors, Amelia, Colin, Zbo, Rosie, Gabo, Vicky, Mokai, and Tony. Thanks for playing. <laughs> What's outside your reality bubble?